I had been looking forward to being with you to bring God's word um, this morning. Uh, thank you for, I, I know many of you have come up to me and communicated that you guys had been praying for us, uh, praying for the work in Japan, and uh, not only through your financial support uh, by the church, but um, we really need and appreciate your prayers uh, for us. So thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, please open in your Bibles to, well, nowadays you probably opening your phone and turning on your phone, but uh, to John chapter 4, I'm going to be reading uh, from verse 1 all the way through verse 30, and then I'm going to pray. So John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he, he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now live, now you have, is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who, call, he, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is God's word to us. Would you join me as I pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us to gather as your people, gather as your children, to hear your word. But we confess that our hearts are often cold and numb to the glorious truths of who, who Jesus is and who you are and what you have done for us, how you have loved us, how you have never left us, we ask that you would send us your Holy Spirit, empower all of us to hear your voice speaking to us and open the eyes of our hearts that we may behold afresh the glorious Christ, mm-hmm. that our hearts may be thrilled with the joy of knowing Christ and being known by him. And we ask that you would do that for your glory, for your namesake, and for the sake of the nations which are on your heart. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to show you a picture. You should have a picture, I think. Or not? Yeah, thank you. Uh, So this picture was taken recently uh, on a trip to uh, a bunch of cabins near Mount Fuji, Mount Fuji in the background. Uh, We took this trip as a community, and uh, these are mostly non-Christians. There may be five, six Christians uh, pictured in this, including uh, me and my wife and a couple other people, uh, church members, but mostly non-Christians. And these are the people that we have been seeking to build relationships with and reaching out to share the gospel with. Um, My family and I have been living in Tokyo for the last five years seeking to reach these people with the gospel and seeking to love these people and serve them. Uh, Since last summer, as we started gathering with five families uh, on Sundays uh, for worship, we have had a couple of baptisms, and more recently, our friend, uh, Hiroe, so you see me in the back kind of standing, I'm not that tall actually, I'm just, you know, (laughs) I'm going like this. Uh, my wife in front of me, and then uh, right next to my wife uh, is our friend Hiroe. Um, we have known her since we moved to Japan five years ago, um, but recently she professed faith in Jesus uh, after a long period of um, exploring faith, and so we're really encouraged about that, and so she's going to be going through baptism preparation shortly. Uh, so this was, this was just two weeks ago uh, when she professed faith. So please continue to pray, and especially for these ladies' uh, husbands. Uh, none of the men has come to faith yet, uh, but we're praying for that. So please do pray uh, with us for that. 
Um, we are grateful for what God is doing in our midst, um, though the overall picture of the church in Japan is pretty bleak. Uh, 125 million people, less than 0.5% evangelical Christian population. The number of Christians um, are very small. Uh, Japan is considered second largest unreached people groups in the world. That means most people in Japan will be born and live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus unless someone brings the gospel to them. Did you know that Bangladesh is the largest unreached people group in the world? But in Bangladesh, the Christian population is actually growing. But in Japan, the Christian, evangelical Christian population is actually shrinking. Uh, from 1948, after World War II, a second wave of uh, Protestant missionaries went to Japan, preached the gospel, planted churches, and the number of churches and number of Christians grew until about 2008, it started going downward, and it's shrinking. Aging congregations, retiring pastors, churches with no shepherds, no youth, no making disciples, these are the words you hear about the state of the churches in Japan. Now, we know that Jesus has called each of us to be a part of this, this great commission, his great commission that he gave to the church to make disciples of all nations, and he invites each of his followers to be a part of that, to join him in his mission to tell the good news to these people. The people in Tokyo and people in San Diego and everywhere else we know that, but how do you keep going when there's little apparent progress of the gospel? How do, you, how do you engage in mission when we have different pursuits in our lives that take up most of our time and attention? Things like our career, our family, raising kids, school, and even church things like home groups and Bible studies. What is going to drive us toward this mission that Jesus has given to us? And what's going to compel us to risk our comforts and finances and reputations and other things for the sake of this mission that Jesus invites us into? Now, if you care about these questions, this passage of God's Word will be relevant to us. Because in today's passage... We see Jesus engaging in cross-cultural mission. But this message is not going to be about, here's what Jesus did, so let's all learn from Jesus' example kind of message. Though, though there's plenty of things that we can learn from Jesus' example, this message is not going to be about that. Because John's intention in writing this passage, preserving this passage for us, isn't primarily to, to give us an example in Jesus for us to follow. But his, his aim is to show us who Jesus really is. How utterly unique Jesus is. That's his aim. And so when we encounter and experience Jesus for who he really is, that is what propels us into his mission. Experiencing this, this one-of-a-kind, breathtakingly beautiful Jesus when we experience Jesus, that's what's going to help us and drive us into Jesus' mission. So we're going to look at who Jesus really is in this passage by focusing on two things. 
Two simple points. One, the uniqueness of what Jesus offers. And two, the uniqueness of how Jesus loves. So first, let's look at the uniqueness of what Jesus offers. So the uniqueness of Jesus, what Jesus is revealed in what he offers in this passage, and namely, eternal satisfaction of human souls. That's what Jesus offers in this passage. We see Jesus, uh, he's traveling through Samaria. He's, he has a long journey. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's by a well, and he starts engaging this woman in a conversation. He says, give me a drink. A simple request seems like a natural thing to do when you're thirsty. But we know that the Jews and Samaritans had a long history of animosity toward one another. They didn't like each other. John even inserts his comments saying Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And so the Jews considered the Samaritans to be religious half-breeds. And they, they looked down on them and they thought they were unclean. Plus, for Jewish men to talk to a woman in public was a disgraceful thing to do. So they just didn't do that. So this woman is, is shocked that this Jewish male is asking for a drink. But from John's reader's perspective, from, from our perspective, there's another piece of information that he gives to us that makes this encounter even more remarkable. Later on in this passage, in verses 16 through 18, we, found out that, we find out that this, this woman has had five husbands, and also she's now living with a man that she's not married to. We're told in verse 6 that she came to the well by herself, and John gives us the specific time of the day when this woman came to the well. He says it was about the sixth hour. That's about noon. Okay? So most people, others, others in the town, most people would have come in the morning together to, to draw water from the well when it was cooler, when, it, when the sun, sun wasn't so hot. So most commentators think this woman was most likely a social outcast ostracized by her townspeople because of her reputation as a sexually immoral woman. She had no friends. She did not want to be seen by others. So that's why she came to the well by herself. And to this woman, Jesus speaks to her. Jesus is breaking all kinds of social, racial, religious, gender, and moral barriers, all kinds of barriers to engage this woman in a conversation. And to this woman, Jesus offers what he calls, in verse 10, living water. The woman has no idea what he's talking about. So she says, sir, you have no bucket. Where are you going to get this water? Then Jesus tries to explain the nature of this water that he's offering in verse 13. Look at verse 13 one more time. Everyone who drinks of this water, he's, so he's referring to the physical water from the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we find out later in chapter 7 that this phrase living water refers to the Holy Spirit. So what what Jesus is offering is not physical water, but the Holy Spirit who will satisfy not the physical thirst, but the spiritual thirst of the human soul again and again and again, all the way into 
eternity. That's what Jesus is offering. He says, he says it's going to become a spring of water, spring, the water bubbling up, never, never ceasing to bubble up, and spring of water that never dries up. It, it's going to satisfy the thirst of human soul again and again and again. That's what Jesus is offering here. But the woman still doesn't, doesn't get it. She has no idea what he's talking about. So she says to Jesus, all right, give me this water so that I don't have to come back here to draw water again. So he's still, she's still, this woman is still thinking in physical terms. And then Jesus says something rather surprising. Jesus says to her, okay, you want this water? Go and call your husband and come here. Now, at the first glance, it seems like Jesus is just switching topics completely. But he's not doing that, actually. He's, he's gently exposing this woman's spiritual thirst and how she was trying to satisfy that thirst in all the wrong places. We're told that she has had five husbands, all of whom has, have likely divorced her, and now she's living with a man she's not married to. This woman was desperately empty and thirsty inside, seeking to satisfy herself and seeking satisfaction and happiness in these relationships, relationships with men. And seeking to satisfy this longing in being accepted, being loved and wanted by these men. In one of the Old Testament passages, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God says, my people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is the definition of evil that God gives to us. Forsaking God, the fountain of living waters, and seeking to fill ourselves with broken cisterns. And that's what this woman was doing, seeking to satisfy her spiritual thirst with broken cisterns called relationships with these men that left her dry and thirsty and never satisfied, never happy. But let's think about this. Isn't this the way people often live as well? People in this, in this world today, we do this too. Ever since Adam and Eve chose to find fulfillment outside of God and chose to, chose to live life on their own and left the Garden of Eden, mankind has always had this innate thirst and has been seeking to quench that thirst with waters that will always leave them empty, thirsty, and never ultimately satisfied. That's what we do. And people in Tokyo... As you look around, you go to the mall and stores after store, stores and, you know, little delights here and there. People may seem happy. People have nice things. They dress nicely. They drive nice cars. They live in nice places. People are seemingly happy. But maybe, maybe they're trying to bury their sorrows and struggles and then maybe they're trying to distract themselves from this struggles and emptiness that they have by the pursuit of these things. Money may offer security 
An intimate relationship may give us a sense of acceptance, but these things, and, these, and I'm not saying these things are evil in themselves. Money is good. It's good to have money. It's okay to have security. It's okay to have longing for intimate relationships and acceptance. But when we make these things the ultimate things, we're never going to be satisfied. When we make these things, creative things, the ultimate things from which we derive satisfaction and joy from, then we're never satisfied. And and actually, the sense of this longing for, for satisfaction, longing for intimacy and acceptance, all these things, sense of longing for these things are meant to point us to something or rather someone far greater. That's how God designed us. And Jesus says, I'm the one who can give you what you are longing for. I'm the one who can give you the living water that will totally satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. And when you taste it, you will never be thirsty again because it's going to fill you again and again and again for eternity. I am the source of your eternal satisfaction. That's what Jesus is offering this woman. Have you experienced this? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And maybe you have experienced this. Or if you're a non-Christian, maybe you haven't experienced this. Even if you are a Christian, maybe you're thirsty at the moment. You've been spiritually dry. Well, I want you to keep listening to Jesus because Jesus is going to show us how exactly, how he is going to satisfy us completely. Now, this woman asked Jesus at one point in their exchange, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Now, if you think about it, Jacob's well may have been there for a couple, at least a couple of thousand years at that point. And so that well had satisfied the thirst of people for a couple of thousand years. That's pretty good. But Jesus offers eternal satisfaction. That's what Jesus offers. So, so John is showing us, yes, actually, Jesus is far greater than Jacob. So we see Jesus how unique Jesus is in what he offers. But his uniqueness is also revealed in how he loves this woman and how he loves us. Did you see how gracious and patient Jesus is with this, this woman? So to help this woman see her need for this living water he's, he's offering, Jesus confronts the woman's sinfulness. But he does that in the most gracious possible way. Look at this. In verse 16, Jesus tells her, go call your husband and come here. The woman tells him, tells him I have no husband. And then Jesus says, you are right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. So actually what you're saying is right. He doesn't condemn He sees right through her sinful past and what she is doing, but there's no self-righteous condescension on Jesus' part. He's gentle, he's patient, and he does not condemn her like the rest of the townspeople in her town. Now, just imagine yourself, putting yourself in this woman's shoes. 
this guy that you just met, he knows everything about your past. Now, that would make me, I don't know, very uncomfortable. (laughs) This woman realizes that this guy, Jesus, knows all about her sinful past. So she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But she doesn't want to get, she doesn't want Jesus to go there. She doesn't want to talk about her personal life. She, it's too painful. She tries to switch the topic and says, we Samaritans worship on this mountain, but you Jews say the temple in Jerusalem is the right place to worship God. Which is it? So she's trying to, trying to shift the focus, but Jesus, and, and Jesus seems to go along with the change of topics and says, okay, you want to talk about the temple? I'll talk about the temple, okay? It's not this mountain, nor that temple. And then she, Jesus then gently brings her right back to her spiritual needs. He says in verse 23, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And Jesus later on in this in this Gospel of John, says, I am the truth. So he's saying that the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in me. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. He, he's telling this woman, he is, the Father is inviting you to come worship him. He wants you to worship him. You've been worshiping things that will never satisfy. Man after man after man have left you empty and thirsty. But when your worship is realigned and when you worship the true God rightly in me and the spirit I will give you, then you will be truly satisfied. In verse 21 and 23, twice Jesus says, the hour is coming. The hour is coming and is now here. Do you want to understand how utterly unique Jesus is and how he loves and unique way that Jesus loves this woman and how he loves us? This is it right here. This phrase, the hour Every time you see this phrase, the hour in the Gospel of John, he's talking, Jesus is talking about the hour of his death on the cross. Jesus says, when that hour comes, you will worship the living God in me, and you will never be thirsty again. And do you remember what Jesus said in that hour on the cross? The cry of Jesus on the cross, I thirst. I thirst. And that cry of Jesus, I thirst, that cry is only recorded in the Gospel of John. And none of the other Gospels record this. And so John wants us to make a connection. It wasn't just the physical thirst Jesus was experiencing at that point. He also cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus was experiencing was the ultimate spiritual thirst. He was completely cut off from the presence of the Father. Ultimate separation from God. That's what he was experiencing. The ultimate 
thirst of human soul that anyone could ever experience. That's what Jesus was experiencing. Separation from God, who was the source of all his joy and delight from eternity past. Now he was cut off. He was receiving the wrath of God against our sins. He, was, he thirsted for us so that we may never be thirsty. Jesus knows everything about our sinful past and present and future. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden from him. But he still says to us, I thirsted for you. I thirsted for you so that you will never be thirsty again. I experienced the ultimate thirst in your place for you so you can have this living water. You will never have to go back to relationships again. You will never have to satisfy yourself with money again. You will never have to go back to these things to satisfy you. I will give you living water. And only when we see and taste and experience this kind of love from Jesus, only when we see that Jesus saw us to the deepest depths of our sinfulness and still went to the cross and experienced what we deserve to show us how much he loves us and cares for us. Only when we experience that do we, do we leave the waters that will never satisfy and say, Jesus, you're better. Jesus, you're better. When Jesus finally reveals to this woman that he is the Christ, the Messiah, look at what what this woman does in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Isn't this a beautiful picture? Woman leaves her bucket and goes to the people who despised her and called her names. But she doesn't care because she experienced something that was profoundly beautiful in Jesus. Come see a man who saw all my sinful past and still treated me kindly as a person. Come see a man who talked to me when nobody else would treat me like that. Come see a man who knew everything I've done and still offered me something so wonderful. Can this be the Christ? Her heart came alive when when she experienced Jesus. And later in the chapter, it says, many people in her town came to faith in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. What an amazingly beautiful picture of what Jesus calls us to be. Jesus told his, his disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus called, calls each of us, his followers, to, to be a missionary like Jesus. But it's only when we see what Jesus did for us and continually experience his great love for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's only when we experience that kind of love do we feel compelled to leave our broken buckets and tell others, come see Jesus? So let's ask ourselves, are we experiencing this great love that Jesus has shown us and Jesus has for us? Is Jesus worth 
throwing everything away to cling to. Has Jesus filled your heart? Is your heart thrilled with Jesus? Where are we seeking to be filled with things that leave us thirsty again? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us where those things are. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us who Jesus really is. We really need the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, otherwise we can read all these words on the page and nothing would happen. It's when the Holy Spirit brings the truth of Jesus, who Jesus is and drives it deeply into our hearts. That's when we are thrilled with Jesus and we, we say, Jesus is better. Yes. Jesus is better than any, any of these things that we're, right. we're seeking to satisfy ourselves with. And that's when we're excited to tell others about Jesus. And as you experience Jesus afresh, let's ask, who is Jesus sending me to? Like this woman went to her town and told people about Jesus. Who is Jesus sending us to? A family member? People at work? Or people at school? Or your neighbor? Now, for the disciples, this woman was a very unlikely candidate for mission. But for Jesus, this woman was precious and the object of his love. So who is Jesus seeking to love through us? Who is Jesus sending us to? I used to think evangelism and mission as something that I had to create extra space for in my, in my schedule. But God has been showing me that he's given me opportunities all the time in the everyday things that I do, everyday stuff of life. God has given me opportunities. And Jesus, have you noticed, Jesus was traveling, just normal stuff. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was, he was asking for a drink. That's regular, everyday life stuff. He's helping me ask, what are the things that I'm already doing on a regular basis and how can I do some of these things with my non-Christian friends with a little bit of gospel intentionality? What are the things that I'm already doing? And how can I involve my non-Christian neighbors and friends in what I'm doing? Now, everyone has 21, well, roughly 21 meals, some, some people more, uh, a week, right? 21, 3 times 7, 21 how many of these meals can I reasonably have with my non-Christian friends that people were seeking to build relationships with? Or I like playing sports, so I play basketball on Wednesday nights at a local uh, elementary school gym. How can I invite, how can I do this with my non-Christian friends? Or I, I am serving as the uh, president of the PTA for my kids' school, and that's P, you know, in being involved in PTA, we're asked to do that. We're, we have to do that for each kid, at least a year, we have to serve. And so I'm already doing that. So how can I use that to build relationships with people in our community? How can I do the things that I'm already doing and be involved with, involved in? How can I do that with a bit of gospel intentionality? So it doesn't, it doesn't require creating a lot of extra spaces in my, in my calendar to engage people uh, in conversations and relationships. It does, though, 
It does require risking our comforts and, and finances and reputations and other things that we may, we may be uh, uh, holding dear. But, but isn't Jesus worthy of us risking all these things to tell other people about? Mm-hmm. And when I'm interacting with them, I just ask a bunch of questions about their families and their work and about just about anything. And I try to listen for things that they're interested in or things that they're pursuing in their lives, things that they're seeking to satisfy their thirsts with. And I'm also listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm asking, the Spirit of God, help me see how these, these people are seeking to satisfy themselves and help, him, help, him, help me to see how Jesus meets that need. And Jesus is so much better. Help me, help me hear these things so that I can introduce them to Jesus. In our community in Toyosin, none of the men, as I mentioned, has come to faith in Jesus. They're, they're all fairly successful at their work, and they live in nice places, uh, seemingly very satisfied with their lives. But we're seeking to live life alongside them. We have community dinners. We have lunches. I have lunches with them at their workplace. We play golf. We play sports. We go see a movie together. We have a... a drink a beer on a rooftop balcony. We do all these things to live life alongside them. And sometimes we have spiritual conversations. Other times we just talk about a bunch of random things. But I don't think it's a waste of time. It's so important for us to spend time with them, build relationships with them so that they don't feel like I'm just seeking to impose my religious worldviews on them. No, I We're seeking to love these people, to get to know them, to find out their needs, and and seeking to introduce them to Jesus. Now, we're seeking to also do that with other Christians as well. It's it's hard to do missions and evangelism on your own, but when when you're doing it together with your your brothers and sisters in Christ, oh, it's, it's so exciting. When the time comes and the Holy Spirit exposes their unfulfilled spiritual thirst, then we can be there together to introduce them to Jesus. Yeah. 23 years ago, I left Japan to, to come to the States to go to college. I had very little English back then, but full of hopes and dreams for a brighter future. Somehow. <laughs> Now, there was a group of Christians who were willing to go right through the language issues, language barrier, religious barrier, to show me how beautiful Jesus was through their love for Jesus and through their love for one another and through their love for me. And now Jesus has called me back to go back to my people and say, come see Jesus. It's not easy to spend time with people who are different than us, right? But they did that for me. It's not easy to spend time with people who have different, different values, people who come from different cultures, different languages. It's far easier, to, far easier to spend time with people who are just like us. But Jesus went through all kinds of barriers, barriers to reach this woman and people in her town. And he invites us to join him in his mission to give this eternal joy and satisfaction for all peoples across all boundaries in all the world 
And some of us are called to go across the ocean to do that. And some of us are called just to go across the street, across the cube in your office, across the classroom in your, in your school. But each of us, wherever Jesus wants us to go, he calls us to be a part of his mission. What an incredible privilege. What an incredible privilege to, be, to play a small part of what Jesus is doing, this glorious mission that Jesus is doing to, to, to save human souls. Oh, what an ex- exciting mission that Jesus invites us into. And I do believe the Lord has a plentiful harvest here in San Diego, here in La Mesa. So I do pray that Jesus will use Grace Church in a mighty way to reap the great harvest all around you. Will you join him? Let's pray.